Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we've seen The Zone of Interest. Uh, this was actually a press screening organised by uh, Lee Nabs at the Mockingbird Cinema. Yes, thank very, you very much. We're very grateful for. First of all, actually, before we get into the film, can I say what a, we've been to the Mockingbird once or twice before, but not for a while. We saw uh, we saw Jane Silent Bob reboot there, I remember, and there was a great crowd. Um, it's a very small cinema in the Custard Factory. Um, you know, it, it seats probably less than 80 people. Mm. Um, but the quality of the projection, mm. astonishing. This film's been shot digitally. It's been shot on spherical lenses. You get all this amazing clarity. And although it's, you know, a small screen and that sort of thing, the images, you know, compared to all the complaints that we've had recently about the image quality at Cineworld, uh, the, the IMAX screen, they're notwithstanding. Although I'd say even then, this is better than the IMAX. Really. The clarity, I mean, the, the, the IMAX obviously has scale going for it, and that's a whole other thing. But the clarity and the brightness of the image that we had today, I thought was just astonishing. It was very good. Uh, and uh, I'd happily go a lot more. I mean, the only thing, and it's a problem in Birmingham throughout, is that they tend to program the same films that are being programmed elsewhere. And if you have a Cineworld pass, you know, you're not you're not going mm. to pay to see it somewhere else. So, you know, what I would hope for, like, encourage, wish for, is, and I understand that sometimes they have to program the big blockbuster films because they need to make money. But if they could just distinguish their programming a bit more than they already do from Cineworld, mm. I would definitely kind of go there because it's a great place. It's got a cafe. You know, the Custer Factory had a nice ambiance. You know, mm. it's a place that you could kind of sit comfortably and read a book before your screening. I mean, you know, there's so many things to like about it. Uh, and, the, you know, and the only negative is that the programming coincides too much with Cineworld. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about this film in particular, uh, The Zone of Interest. I've been looking forward to this since seeing the trailer. It looks so interesting. Uh, it's written and directed by Jonathan Glazer. Um, who's previously made Sexy Beast, Birth, and Under the Skin. So his last film was 2013. We haven't seen any of his films on the podcast before. Personally, I've had a kind of on-off relationship with how much I get on with his films, you know. Mm. Um, I do think he's extremely original, though. I mean, his films, like the genres he goes into, he treats them in ways that you don't see other people doing it, I think. I, I love his films. And actually, uh, I taught Under the Skin for a few years. It's a fascinating film. It's just... They're difficult watches, you know? It's like, I don't know, if you could make some kind of comparison, it's like, you know, reading a literary novel as opposed to a generational opus or something, right? <laughs> it's kind of, the audience's pleasure is not its primary goal, yeah? The, the audience's yeah. thinking, uh, you know, is, or, or uh, you know, a particular type of experience is, but not really its pleasures. So, and that can be off-putting. I mean, whilst we were watching the film, my thinking was, I'm so glad that I'm seeing it here because, you know, I think it's really great. But I'm sure had I watched it on my TV, I, I don't know if I'd have been able to get through it just because it's a bit slow, mm -hmm. it's a bit static. It really makes you look and listen. It requires your concentration. Yeah, and I don't think I would have been able to give it at home. Yes, it's not that sort of film. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, it's based on uh, the novel of the same name by Martin Amis. Um, Jonathan Glazer was apparently interested in, in this novel before it even came out from having heard about the kind of thing it would be about. And from what I understand, um, there's rather a departure from the novel in the film in that the novel is based on um, the life of Rudolf Huss, mm. not Rudolf Hess, who was the deputy uh, Führer who got himself uh, arrested in Scotland like mm. a twat. Um, mm. <laughs> this is Rudolf Huss, who ran Auschwitz, and he lived in a house that bordered it. And we see this; it's it's not the the exact house; it's a replica. But it's um, we see, I mean, you see Auschwitz in the background all yeah. the time behind this lovely bucolic pastoral garden. Yeah. Um, the novel is based on him, but all the characters' names are different, and there's a love triangle and things. And this has all been removed for this, right? So it, we are talking about Rudolf Huss by name here. This is much more. This is treating its subject much more as historical document um and there's no love triangle nothing like that and in fact there's although there is obviously story and plot um it's not the driving force this is um observational so uh, i was reading that jonathan glazer set up a lot of cameras in this house mm. um kind of locked them off and you know 10 at a time and said you go about your lives right jonathan glazer i think used the phrase it's like we treated it like a Nazi big brother, something like that, right? Mm. And and so, I mean, I don't think you even, I could be wrong about this, I don't think you even see a camera pan at any point. I, I a, don't remember why. There's a couple of tracks, um, but the, the film is uh, aesthetically defined by locked-off tripod shots mm. that are dispassionate observers of what they're seeing. The scale is interesting as well, because it's not quite... You know the the plan again. It's not quite mid length. You know, it's almost like these characters are surrounded by their environment. They are yeah, almost an environment that they're largely oblivious to. But yeah, kind of you know the scale of the film is interesting as well. It mm. kind of it's slightly dislocating. The characters always move in the space. The space surrounds them. Mm. Yes, the the cam- the shots are typically reasonably wide angle, yeah. although not. Um, distortively so I mean we recently saw uh, Poor Things for instance where like the fisheyness is part mm. of the charm and the appeal it's not what's going on here but it's a, it's about getting a, a wide view of mm. what you're seeing and it's kind of unstylized, if you like and I think it's interesting that I don't think at any point you enter Auschwitz I could be wrong about that you stay you, outside you, you only enter Auschwitz at the very end of the film when we see the cleaners Right, in the so there's, museum. there's yeah. that modern day segment. But in terms of what's set at the time, I don't remember going into Auschwitz no, at all. Don't. This is about being set outside Auschwitz, being seen next door to Auschwitz. And a lot of people, I think, will talk about the idea of the banality of evil, which is so often what people talk about with, uh, when it comes to the horrors of the Holocaust, because that's what, um, that's what Hannah Arendt wrote about uh, during the Nuremberg mm. trials and about... Um, I forget who it was specifically who... who the Nazi who was on trial, who she was it Eichmann? I can't remember who it was. Eichmann. Eichmann. It was Eichmann. Because I think, didn't she also write something called Eichmann in Jerusalem? Right. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. And the idea was that he, the idea of the banality of evil was that this wasn't to, to Eichmann's mind, the way it came across in his kind of testimony, was it wasn't an active evil. It was a process. It was a business. It was something he was told to do. It was thoughtless. I think this film 
is not quite like that. I think it's, this film has a judgment on it. So I agree, it's not quite like that. And it's not making exactly the same point, but I think people will see a relationship with sure. that idea. The idea that you know, you're having your, your birthday parties, you're raising your kids in your back garden, you're having your mum over across a wall covered in barbed wire are these huts where um, Jews are being worked to death and killed. And throughout the film, apart from those moments where you get to Berlin, or near Berlin, I forget the name of the town. Or Rienenberg. Where um, uh, Huss is uh, forced to relocate for a time. When you're in and around Auschwitz, the sound, there's this constant, sometimes it's high level, sometimes it's low level, but there's this constant rumble hum it's industrial it's the you know the furthest you get from it is when you get down by the river and you can still hear it there the sound Constantly design running under everything this industrial sound of auschwitz behind everything the sound design is amazing i mean you know uh, there's that close-up of the lead uh from below at one point in full kind of uniform with a skull uh mm. on, on his uh, I think uh, you maybe are actually in Auschwitz at that point. Maybe that one shot. So you don't see it because it's just a close-up. Yeah, that's right. maybe it. But, what you, but that's the moment where Auschwitz comes into force mm. because the close-up is just of, of his face and his uniform, right? But you hear people screaming, you hear shots, you, you know, yeah. and all of a sudden you realize this is a disembarkment from the trains, right? You know, and, and it's amazing the power of the film to just kind of communicate that without showing anything. Right, it's kind of, it's all done orally. Yeah, there is a score written by Michael Levi, but um, you hear almost none of it, right? I, you know, I, a lot of it was discarded, I think. So the film um, opens on a black screen uh, during which some of this score, this kind of disquieting, odd score is being played for a minute or two. Um, but once the film starts proper, you don't hear any of that. And... Uh, it, it plays throughout the credits as well at the end. And I think maybe that moment... No, actually, I don't think so. When the screen goes completely red, after you've been looking at all the flowers and the screen mm. goes completely red, actually the sound drops out at that point. And you do hear some odd sound design at that point. You hear uh, sounds of pain, I think. Mm. But I don't think score comes into it at that point. So that, again, contributes to this to this dispassionate feeling. It's not a film that's um, aesthetically kind of juicing what it's showing you mm. right it, it's 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 objective i guess mm. um like how objective your know, fiction is is kind of debatable but it, it's it doesn't play as something that is like i say juicing it it's not mm. selling it's not you manipulating you into feeling that's for sure exactly it's kind of dispassionate and observant but that opening i think is really interesting and it's crucial because that's a film setting its scene orally mm. it's not doing it with any visuals at that point mm. it's it's with sound alone, mm. it is giving you, it, it's, I don't know, it's like it's setting your mood and your heart rate, mm. you know. It's very important that it's doing that right at the start. It's quite amazing, uh, I think, because, you know, it begins just with a family on a Sunday outing, it looks like, on the river. And it's all kind of beautiful and pristine and the water and the forest and the sky, right? That's how it begins. And then the film very gradually begins to introduce kind of discordant notes right yeah uh the people working which i initially thought you know must be jewish workers though the 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 white is very clear to say no kind of you know they're all local girls all the jews are on the other side of the fence she says that's what she says that's what she says and um, that's what she tells her mother 
Ah. Yeah, no, I think this is... Because I, I, I noticed that too, and I, I was I was questioning it. And I think the thing with her mother coming to visit, um, her mother doesn't understand the full extent of, of, of what, what her what her son-in-law does and what her daughter is complicit in. Mm-hmm. And indeed, what her country is complicit in, really. Well, I think she um, does, because there's that, you know, there's that thing. Oh, I wonder if, Mr., if Mrs. Uh, Lieberman is, uh, is over there. Well, right? this is why I use the phrase full extent. Yeah. There's some knowledge. Um, I bid on her curtains and lost. Yes, right exactly. Back. So there is that. But she also leaves. Mm. You know, I mean, she is shocked to see Auschwitz, the camp, sure. beyond the wall. She is. Um, and and she's the one who is reminiscing. She remembers Esther, whoever it was, Esther Silverman or something. Um, although, again, she, you know, as you say, she goes on to say, you know, I bid on her curtains. There is this acceptance of or some degree of um, understanding of. And, and there's more than that, because there was this thing. I used to clean her house. And basically, it's yes. now look at her and look at us. Yes. Like we beat the Jew. Basically, yes, it's but I also think it's being expressed there. But I also think it's the case that she is shot. She is, she leaves. and that's why she yeah. leaves. And I think that's why her daughter um, tells her that the because she asks Jews in the house, and the daughter says, "No, these are local girls," and clearly they're not. Mm. Clearly they're not. I mean, they're absolutely not. I mean, we get so many shots that that tell us that they that they're um, Jews who've been you know, repurposed from mm. the camp. Let's say. Um, you know the thing about cleaning up the bathtub after the, uh, all the human remains have gone into the river, got all over the kids, and they scrub and wash them. And um, and the one girl, the Jewish girl who's working in the house, you know, scrubs the bath. And it's I and mean, you, you don't see what's in the bath actually. I mean, you have seen a shot before, but you see a shot of her face reacting to it. Mm. And we know that's it, that's what she's looking at: the remains of her people. Um, there's a thing about, uh, uh, in fact, it's much clearer even later on when the wife. And tells her, I could have my husband incinerate send your ashes to wherever it is. So it's it absolutely but, clear. She's telling her okay. mother that. Well, for me, there was a doubt because, uh, um, you know, I mean, Polish people were under occupation and kind mm. of they would have been, you know, under uh, threat and uh, 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 of similar kinds, really. So. Uh, so I was. It wasn't clear to me. I took her word for it. Right. Though initially, kind of when you see the workmen, I even then I thought also oh, these are these are Jewish prisoners working the garden. Mm. Was you know my thinking, you know. But then like I couldn't. You know they weren't wearing. Your you quote know, unquote your typical Nazi. Not Nazi the uniform. The Auschwitz. Yeah. Stripes. So 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 I was uncertain. Mm. You know, um, and then the other. The, the 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 dialogue to the mother saying you know uh, the Jews are on the other side, uh, you know is kind of what made me think oh okay well you know that's interesting, um, and it, it increased my doubt and then the threat I could my you know I could have my husband incinerate you and throw your ashes mm. you know, I mean I I took that as a as a moment where her full complicitness in what was happening. Is is revealed, mm. yeah, with with a harshness and cruelty, really. You know, she is a, a wicked woman, right? And she knows exactly what's happening, yeah. right? Um, but I didn't, I didn't take it to mean that she was necessarily addressing a Jewish woman. Yeah, mm. she, she was just addressing somebody who was so much under her power, yeah, and yeah. that could include a local peasant girl, you know. But 
to me, it is absolutely clear. Okay, I'm sure um, you're right. Although I think it is, I mean, there's also something interesting, I suppose, in the idea that um, the line between um, Jewish and non-Jewish um, is not always absolutely clear. I mean, just, I, I, and I don't mean in terms of like, like, you know, I'm raised Jewish and I'm Jewish and I would just say that I'm Jewish. But it's a question of when a Nazi is trying to work out if you're Jewish or not, it just comes down to their opinion. It can be what you look like. I mean, there's that Louis Theroux documentary, which uh, I think a lot of people will be familiar with, where he's hanging out with neo-Nazis in America. And Louis Theroux's not Jewish, um, but this one neo-Nazi whose garage he's in sharing a beer identifies him as Jewish. Mm. And because he won't say, I'm not Jewish, I mean, he'd be like throwing Jews under the bus doing that. He said like, his producer's Jewish and I didn't want to, you know, mm. it felt wrong to, to, to sort of deny it, even though a denial would have been accurate. Mm. Um, because this guy says, I, I think you're Jewish. I think you're Jewish and I want you out of my house. You know, it's there's nothing sort of you can do about that. So I suppose it would be interesting if this girl was not Jewish from the camps um, and was a Pole who still you could say even if even knowingly you could say well I'm going to just say you're Jewish mm. and then I can have you killed mm. that's kind of interesting but I don't think that's what's going on here right um it, where the film I think the film is so interesting but as you say it is also slow and it's about kind of long-term observation of the way of life in this house and and the kind of the domesticity in it compared to what we know is going on over the wall, though we don't see it, you know. And but we see Not occasional statues. We get, for instance, flames coming out of the chimney. Okay, and well, actually, there's a progression in yes. this, right? So initially, you see nothing and you hear nothing, and then little by little, the film builds up. Yeah, yeah, kind of the noises, you know. Uh, three quarters of the way through the film, the 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 red smoke of the chimneys becomes almost like a constant image. Yeah, mm. you see them through windows, through the house, through. Right, uh, so it becomes kind of harder and harder to deny, kind of what's happening, you know, around, and that this woman's idea, or this, you know, because I think, I mean, I, I think it is, you know, well, the woman calls it paradise, yeah, mm. uh, maybe it's the mother who calls it paradise, but the woman agrees, right, is right next to you know somebody else's version of hell, right, like kind of yes. you know. The side by side, one side pretending the other isn't there. Uh, and so kind of, you know, the film begins to build up. And all of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, little by little, this family that's just shown as an archetypal, loving, idyllic, uh, you know, family in the country, on a Sunday in the country, all of a sudden becomes kind of complicit in all the murderousness and kind of that, you know, that it takes place, right? Uh, so you see her distributing the clothes, you see her with the fur coat, You she talks about a diamond having fallen out of her toothpaste and how she's ordering more. She knows exactly where these things are coming from, yes. right? And then also the husband, who seems like really nice and, you know, reads his uh, children's stories and, you know, uh, is clearly besotted by his wife, but you also see him taking advantage of, you know, you see him with a prostitute, basically, who is also yeah. Well, prostitute of, is putting. I mean, she he's raping a prisoner from the from the, from the camp. Yeah. Uh, I, again, those things. That's almost like the logical way of thinking, except it wasn't clear to me. Mm. Yeah, because again, she appears, you know, with the high heels and the purse, and mm. yeah. Uh, and she seems healthy and long, long hair, and yeah, yeah. Those are not the images that you would associate, yeah, 
uh, but again, kind of, you know, uh, certainly it, it, it's a thought that comes to you, yeah. I think it's interesting that there is there is ambiguity in this, because I think you're right, I, you know, because when I say, oh, it seems absolutely obvious to me, it did, but but there's also good reason to have these doubts that mm. you had about, about who these people are or exactly what the relationships are and so on. Because um, I think that kind of plausible deniability, to, you might call it, is kind of built into... I mean, for instance, the name The Zone of Interest, right, is one of these kind of classic Nazi um, kind of non-names, right? The Zone of Interest was the name for the 40, I think, square kilometre mm. region around Auschwitz. Now... To any kind of normal person, that's not a zone of interest, right? Mm. That's something much worse than what that name implies. But that's kind of built in. Mm. To, it's built into the film's title, and it's built into all of these things. I mean, it's, it's interesting that the film is a 12A, um, despite what we've just described as a rape scene, because you don't see anything. What you see is implied, and it's clear what the relationship Because after it, you also see him washing his genitals, yeah. and, you, and washing them with the same kind of intensity that um, they wash their kids after being mm. in the river with all the, the, the ashes and the bones of, mm. that have been discarded. So, you know, you put those kind of put those things together, it's clear, um, I think, that, you know, she's Jewish and he's washing himself after having um, raped her. But it's shown in such a way that you could... Do you remember that film we saw, the Iranian film? Um, was it Permission? About the, um, the women's football team... Um, we saw it at the Mac, mm. and you did a you, you led a discussion afterwards, mm. um, and there was a scene in it where um, uh, it's a, a rape is implied, and then you see the woman um, scrubbing her teeth intently mm. afterwards. Mm. And again, it's like you, you haven't been shown this, and if you don't want to see it, you don't have to see mm. it. But if you are cognizant of okay, what that implies, to. then yeah. you see it, and that's that's similar here, mm. right? And you see it in different ways because actually. You know, so I was thinking, oh, they have sex. And then you say, and she was raped. And of course, she was, yeah, it is a rape. I mean, if it's involuntary, yeah, yes, it's a rape. Yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, even those perceptions kind of, you know, alter with with knowledge and context. But it's also, I, th I think what you're getting at there is that the, the word rape implies perhaps something more violent, more forceful than mm. you're necessarily seeing, which you're not here. Mm. It's, well, it's you see nothing. Yeah, yeah. You, yes. What the, the amount to which you see anything is her coming in, taking off her shoes... And it's what she's there for, yeah. Um, as opposed to something that she is uh, you know, resisting or what have you. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's an amazing film. I mean, it's it's kind of uh, um, so so powerful. Yeah, kind of because it reveals all the it reveals all the power gradations. It reveals people's unwillingness to um, acknowledge whilst being fully cognizant of the benefits they reap and wanting to reap more or mm. order more toothpaste. You know, there might be more diamonds in it. You know, the terrifying power relations between, you know, this housewife who seems like a nice little housewife with, you know, all her curls in her hair and, you know, t uh, tied up with pins and so on. And yet kind of, you know, the underlying kind of fascistic brutality behind her. Mm. You know, it's kind of, you know, an amazing performance, I think, from Sandra Huller. Uh, Apparently the dog is her own dog as well, the actress. Yes, I mean, <laughs> and the dog is important. It kind of, you know, it comes flying in as part of the family. It's lively and mm -hmm. so on. And, you know, just behind it, there are kind of people, 
Bengast, right? Um, there's, it's, it's, it's something very bourgeois about the family. It's not just any old family. There's something about it's it's about the um, I mean the introduction to the family is built around um, taking the spoils, as it were, the loot from um, Jewish women hmm. uh, who have been um, taken to the camps, and you know pick something nice that you want. And there's a discussion of the dress that someone picked that was two sizes too small. But I'll get into it. I love this dress. The lipstick that she finds in the pocket of the mink coat. Um, it's built around that kind of um, it's it, the, the things that we're able to to have the, the beautification and then you get all these shots of of the beautiful garden it's all in bloom the close-ups of the roses and, and the, the ivy and, and we've, the central heating we've and... grown some ivy to cover up the wall to the mm. <laughs> to the camp you know um, and then there's also this this kind of ongoing plot with Rudolf Hoss, the the the, um, the commandant about his promotion and how this promotion is not going to be a good thing for the family because he's going to have to move and wife doesn't want it and so on. But it's also a promotion in which he becomes the overseer of all the camp commandants. Mm. And that's, again, that's like, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a job progression thing. And I think it's, the film comes alive in a certain way um, after having been, as we've said, kind of slow. Um, when he goes to the town of Vienna, mm. but near Berlin and he's at the meeting of all those commandants because that is such a business meeting. I laughed, so I think I was, I was the only person who laughed in the cinema at any point. It's not a very funny film. Mm. But I think it is a funny line when you've got the one guy, whoever it is, who's leading the, the meeting in that room full of, full of camp commandants. Um, and he praises uh, a guy for having been promoted because he met all his labour targets. Mm. And he says, I get fan mail from CEOs about this guy. Want like that is a funny line, right? And it's about nice. and it's like this is business, right? And then you go into um Huss leading I, I, I maybe I'm pronouncing his name all the time, but I keep saying Huss. Um he then you know takes over the meeting and it's the agenda, right? Point one, point two, point three, point four. And you know, and of course these is how these meetings would be run. It's mm. like natural to do it that way, but it's also quite pointed that this just reads like a business meeting. It's a business meeting about how we're going to execute the final solution of killing every Jew on earth. Well, I mean, that particular meeting is about the 700,000 Hungarians. Yes, that's right. Yeah, who are coming. But there's a previous meeting to that in uh, Hoss's house. Yes. Uh, if you yes. remember, it's kind of, he right takes his start. boots off, they don't. You know, and, th and then the language is almost like American military language, actually, right? You know, collateral damage, things like that. So they're talking about units being transported. And of course, each unit is a person, right? Mm. And so, you know, you can dehumanize kind of the fact that actually what you're transporting is people and you're transporting them to kill them by using this other language, right? So it becomes kind of a logistical kind of, you know, problem of industry and efficiency and so on. Yeah, yes. and kind of you eliminate anything human from it, which, you know, I'm sure is the only way that uh, they could go on with that kind of thing. Uh, but but that was a very chilling meeting. And then the film is so subtle that it gets kind of uh, echoed through the rest of the film. Yeah, because you say, okay, well, just like the, there's this camp, and then, you know, you'll hear the meeting, and there's that camp, and that camp, and that camp, and that camp, and then mm -hmm. you'll see maps with all the camps, yeah, yeah kind yeah. of, you know, with black marks on it, I mean... Because Outreach is the best known, but there were dozens of these, yeah. these places. Yeah, uh, so, so, you know, the kind of the, the chillingness and the horror kind of 
builds in very subtle ways like this, I think. At that meeting at the start as well in his, in his home office, um, they're also talking about um, an improvement or, or a new uh, crematorium mm. facility. And we see a diagram of it. And, and the whoever the character is, I don't know, um, describes the prisoners coming here four or five hundred at a time. And he's corrected. It's closer to five hundred. Mm. Um, they're burned at thousand degrees. And by that time, this other chamber has gone down to 40 degrees. and They moved into there and you can get rid of the ash. And, and, it's, and they're talking about the efficiency. You can keep this going constantly. And, and that word is, it maybe doesn't say constantly, but like it's some perpetual or something like that. Mm. And of course, that, I also kind of uh, kept that stayed in my head when I was thinking about the audio, which is itself constant. Mm. It's always, always there. Um, but that uh, that description of of the, the the crematorium facility made me think of an engine. Yeah, and the way he's describing the four stages of intake, burning, it reminded me of uh, the the way a um, a, a four stroke internal combustion engine works mm. you know i forget the, the it's colloquially known as suck squeeze bang blow which is mm. how the fuel comes in and it's exploded and it's moved out and it's 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 this efficient four-stage process it's basically the same thing that they're describing here but not with fuel with people mm. you know um it, it really made me think of that um so it, it, the film also really reminded me as you might expect of my two trips to auschwitz not many jews can say they've been to auschwitz twice I'm um, one of them. I went with you on one of them. Yes, you went with me on the second one. So I went when I was 18, after school, uh, friends, a couple of friends and I went around Europe. And it wasn't quite what that sounds like, although there was you know, fun and everything. But we also we wanted to learn and we went to Auschwitz. Um, and it was, it was kind of shocking. But it was only when I went the second time, 10 years later, with you and with Matt, mm. um, that I really learned the most important thing about Auschwitz, I think. For me at least which was how industrial it was um because you know we have this we have this knowledge of the the million jews that were killed there um, um and also you know on top of that romani um uh, homosexuals you know mm. so many people uh, jews were the, the bulk um and and then there's there's the liberation and there's images of the the um the crematoria having been exploded and destroyed and that sort of thing, which the Nazis did themselves as mm. they were trying to escape. Um, and you get this thing about, like like in the ether, Auschwitz survivors, people did survive Auschwitz. But what you, I think, what I didn't understand until the second time I went there with, you know, more perspective and all that, was that you didn't survive Auschwitz unless you had only just got there when it was that, liberated. That's what I learned. Yeah. That was my main you didn't like You didn't live there a long time. And that's why this was industrial. And we see things like, we see discussion of this in a sense in the film when they're talking about the 20% of uh, Jews who will be used for work yes. and the 80% who will be... But killed. they were only used until they starved to death. Exactly. Right? You, weren't, were, you weren't kept there and fed. Yeah. You were used up. Exactly. And it was very interesting because at the end of the film, they show the museum and they have all these pictures of people Right. And, you know, that's that's kind of when I clocked it. Mm. Right. Because it'll have, you know, uh, the picture, the name of the person when they arrived in Auschwitz and when they died. And, you know, it basically was a three month period that they they survived. Yeah. yeah. Everybody died more or less around three months. I mean, you might find a few six months or whatever, but actually it was uncanny. 
right? How, yeah, kind of people were used up until they died, basically. And those were the 20% that, yeah, yes. that were not incinerated right at the beginning. I mean, so, there's a thing about the one character who wants that 20% is worried that he won't even get his 20% because he, because Huss is so efficient or what have you that he'll just kill them all. He wants mm. to make sure he gets his, he skims off the top, the ones mm. that he can use. Mm. Um, but yeah, it is, and that's why it's so industrial. That, that word industrial is so kind of key, I think, because it's it's all about using up the the value and the energy that these people contained mm. until it was gone and you just replace them with more. Yes, you've already stolen their houses, their curtains, their fur coats, their diamonds and their money. Yeah. <laughs> so now it's, you use up their bodies. It's really quite, it was really yeah. quite something. I was also reminded, um, and I remember this very vaguely, so forgive me, but it, it was a story that Stephen Fry told on Craig Ferguson. He was interviewed on, which is you know a late night comedy show in the states, but um, they had a um, quite <laughs> serious interview. Um, and Stephen Fry was talking about um, an Auschwitz survivor uh, who he met, obviously much later in her life. Um, I forget her name. She was a violinist, and she was taken in one day to see uh, Joseph Mengele and obviously the words just like send a shiver through her spine when she mm. hears them you know what is going to happen to me uh, is the uh, if you don't know the um, infamous um, doctor who mm. conducted disgusting medical experiments and she was told to play the violin she was shown a violin play this she, she had been like a concert violinist and whatever she played she played this piece and he just sat there you know, this look, dispassionate look on his face and then she put it down and he she was dismissed mm. and that's it and Stephen Fry says he asked her what he didn't say thank you mm. and she's like you don't understand we weren't human mm. you know it's like it's like thanking your toaster mm. right and you see elements of that here the the only time that people that the that the Jews who are yeah, um, given enough freedom to to work in the house the only time that they're spoken to is to tell them off for mm. you know it's when the the wife is in a rage at one point because of the husband and she takes out uh, on the girl is to tell them off for not having done something or did you do this to offend me clean that up that's it you know well, you see, I, like, the reason why I still have doubts about that is because there's the scene with the dresses where she says you're only allowed to take one yeah yeah to each of the servants I don't think she would have done that if they were Jewish. <laughs> I could be wrong. Possibly. Right? But anyway, there's that doubt about that mm. that we have. But I want to raise, you know, kind of another question, and a more difficult one, really, because I think what the film does is open up questions of people's complicitness with the horrors around them. It's very, it's clearly about that, mm. you know. Uh, so, you know, these people know that their paradise is the result of what's on the other side of the fence. Yeah, one does not exist without the other. Mm. And they're benefiting from it, you know, and they know what's going on. And of course, you know, they allow it to happen. And of course, the reason why maybe they allow it to happen is because, you know, kind of Jews are like toasters to them, right? Mm. Um, but I think there are kind of broader questions about, you know, ourselves in our own culture. And, you know, and this can be taken kind of you know, on different levels, the North versus the South, you know, Africa and Europe, right? Uh, but also kind of, you know, the current situation with Israel and Palestine, I think. Mm -hmm. And the film absolutely raises those questions for me. Did, did it for you? Yeah, it is obviously so 
easily relatable to the current situation, although it's a situation that's been going on for decades and decades and decades, but um, obviously in the last few months since um, Hamas attacked Israel in Israel, um, retaliated so violently, mm. it's much more evocative of that mm. than it um, would previously have been, I suppose. I mean, um, you know, one doesn't want to draw the comparison too much because actually, you know, uh, there are no concentration camps in Israel. Well, there are no uh, gassings and burnings and so on in, in Israel. So the comparison really has its limits. But, you know, I've been watching uh, Israeli friends and Palestinian friends post pictures on Facebook, mm. right, of, you know, what's happening kind of simultaneously. Yeah, and it really brings to, to mind this film, yeah, that kind of, you know, one wall is like uh, a garden and, uh, you know, the cabbages and so on, and the other side of the wall is like the chimney, right? Like, yeah. you know, um, so, you know, in some of those pictures of Palestine, you do see like those fences and where people have to go through to go get from one zone from the other. You know, and the other, you are seeing kind of, have people having candlelight marches for the kidnapped victims and so on, mm. you know. Uh, but also, you know, you're not seeing like a devastated war zone and kind of children kind of in pieces and like you're seeing from some of the, the images from Palestine. So for me, kind of, you know, maybe on a very, very crude level, as I said, when, you know, one doesn't want to uh, uh, minimize the comparison. It's not comparable in many ways, but there are ways in which it is comparable. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. And, and it, you know, that contrast really brings it to mind. Yeah. Um, you see videos of um, the IDF forces um, going into Palestinians' homes in the West Bank mm. at night just to disrupt them. They're not doing anything wrong, but just to fuck with them, just to make sure they remain uncomfortable. Sometimes they arrest them and mm. what have you. On top of that, um, it, it's, it's, it's oppression. It's a different kind of oppression. The oppression is not, as you say, in a concentration camp, though there are definitely people who would, who would say Gaza is just mm. a concentration camp. It's just this isolated zone mm. where Israel is completely in control. Um, I mean, I, I, I agree with that to some degree. Mm. You know, I, I wanted to bring us back to the film yeah. because I think you know, part of the reason why the film is so um, complex and interesting to me is actually maybe some of the scenes that I would normally have a knee-jerk reaction to, which are when the father is reading his daughter fairy tales and the image turns negative and you see images of a young girl. You know, so it's tied to this theme of a young girl who puts sugar for, I don't know, the goblins or the witches or something like that. Mm. And then later you realize that actually it's a, it's a young Polish girl who's leaving apples for the Jewish prisoners to survive. Yeah. Yes, we say this twice. Yeah, and and so the film also has, you know, the negative image or the image thrown to negatives, but of course, which is really hope in the film, of people doing the right thing, of people being human and compassionate and kind of you know taking enormous mm. risks uh, to um, to make someone else's life less hopeless. Yeah. Right. Uh, That's the best image of the film for me is when it's that shot of her planting uh, apples or pears, or maybe she was maybe she was even picking them at the time. Whatever she's doing, she, and and it's um, she's right in the centre of frame, and there's a hill behind her, and behind the trees you see the smoke 
from one of the trains delivering prisoners to mm. Auschwitz, and it, that's in pure white, and she's in pure white, glowing, mm. um, and everything else is dark. As you say, it's kind of negative. It's kind of it's almost like thermal imaging. It's interesting. Mm. I would love to know how they made that imagery actually, because it's not completely clear to mm. me. Um, but that image is so powerful of just you know, the, the, like the the business continues at the top of the screen. And it's this minor act of resistance that nonetheless is is, is glowing. Mm. And it's an act of resistance that's not without its complications. Because another thing that you hear on the soundtrack is Jewish prisoners being shot because they fought over an apple. And this happens before she plants them, but you know, you make the connection. So on the one hand, she's helping them. Yeah, on the other hand, her helping them is not just a danger to herself, but a danger, you know, to them. But nonetheless, yeah, the helping in itself is important. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was I was reading as well. Uh, it's in the kind of notes on Wikipedia that that girl was a real girl who Jonathan Glazer met during his research. This became, as I say, kind of historical documentarianism to some degree for him. Um, and the bicycle that girl uses mm. is her own. It's that woman's actual mm. bike, and and so it's the dress that she wears. Mm. So this was a, this was a real act. She was a member of the Polish resistance. She was twelve years old at the time, and the, and so it's it's unconnected to anything else that we see in the film. She's not you know a member of this family. She's not. She's just from the from the area, but um, she is the kind of the the, the bright spark that we get mm. amongst all of this. Yeah, it's it's really kind of an important dialectical element because you know what you see is the film build up little by little details of these people who seem human and ordinary really becoming the epitome of like selfish wickedness, right? Uh, you know, inhuman wickedness. And so I think that it's important that we also see acts of humanity and compassion and selflessness. Yeah, yeah in fact, let me just get her name quickly. Uh, um, her name was Alexandria. Um, the other thing we get, of course, is the piece of music, uh, which we were just remarking upon uh, when we were walking back just now. Because I, I stuck through the credits and I, I wanted to find out a couple. Of, I wanted to find out who did the the ice sculpture mm. of the uh, swastika that we get at that party at the end, which we don't get. Whoever that ice sculptor was is not named. It may just come under props. I also was interested in the music, and so she gets this scrumpled up sheet music and she plays it on the piano. It's just a simple melody, one note at a time. Um, and the melody's playing, and we get subtitles beneath it. In fact, it's interesting. The subtitles for the, the whole the whole film's in German. We should maybe say the whole film's in German um, and and a bit of Polish, um, and all the subtitles are in white. And when that song plays, the subtitles are in kind of cream, right? They're, they're different at that point. And and we were discussing whether we heard lyrics or not under it because mm. I, I I thought it was interesting that we heard no lyrics, mm. um, but subtitles played on top of it. And I took that to mean maybe this is a, a piece of music that uh, you know, local audiences would know and would associate those lyrics with, and we just um, are being given them as, a, as, as an English audience. But apparently not. This was a real piece of music that this prisoner named Joseph Wolf or Josef Wolf, uh, who survived the war, um, wrote. This Alexandria actually found this music, and I think this is what's being played, because in the music credits we get... Uh, I forget the name of the piece, but um, it's named and it says written by Joseph Wolf, mm. and then it also says an audio recording of Joseph Wolf was uh, used. Mm. And and I was thinking, oh, that's interesting. I didn't hear a voice. I didn't mm. hear lyrics. And you were suggesting you heard 
I heard a voice at the beginning, I think. You think you heard but I'm humming. unsure. Yeah, but definitely no singing of lyrics, yeah. Like humming. Yeah. So maybe I just missed that, and that's why that's credited. Um, either way, that's very interesting. And the song is about resistance mm. and hope and not really having any, but it's in the face of, you know, this kind of insurmountable evil. Um, but yeah, it's very interesting. It's it, it's a really interesting kind of, it's almost a flourish, if you like. I mean, the closest this film gets to a kind of flourish, maybe, um, in kind of audiovisual terms, that it is is playing a song that it's giving us lyrics to without, without hearing them, mm. you know, making sure that we know what this song is about. It's an element of art and music and hope and belief in the human heart <laughs> in the face of all of those lacks, right? And so, you know, as the film inexorably builds, yeah, kind of, you know, more and more and more and more, right? The girl and the song, mm. yeah, which are tied together, yeah, kind of offers kind of a, a necessary corrective to, you know, what could seem unremitting kind of horror, really. Yeah, so, you know, because the film builds with this idyllic image and then, yeah, it becomes like an image of, 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 of selfishness and greed and nastiness. And, yeah, so I think, mm. yeah, the, the girl and the song work together to say, well, amidst all of this, yeah, which overwhelms everything, there's still this that is, you know, a better, more hopeful kind of sentiment. It hasn't extinguished it. I want to talk about the ending as well before we stop, because um, it is so interesting. And, and I suppose you could also call this a flourish. In fact, it's maybe unfair of me to think of, of the film not having flourishes, because actually that shot I mentioned, I mean, that whole aesthetic of the of the inverted imagery is a flourish to some degree. Yes, and the flowers. So, um, so you know, I'd, I'd take it back to some degree, but I think you know what I mean. Um, the ending. So we've got Huss in uh, near Berlin, <laughs> town I'm never. I think it's Orienburg. Orienburg, thank you. Um, we've got Huss there, having been um, told that he's going back to Auschwitz to oversee. Operation Hus, mm. which is this um, mass movement of Hungarian Jews to the camps. Um, he's very proud that it's been named after him. Um, we also see him absent-minded or describing absent-mindedness at that party where he talks about standing above all these people who are milling about in the ballroom. Um, and he was just absent-mindedly thinking about what it would take to gas this room, and it would be so difficult because the ceiling's so high. So, like, his job is just on his mind all the time. Because I don't think what... To me, the implication from that isn't, I hate these people and I must... You know, I, I regret everything I do. He's a technocrat. It's, yeah. just, it's just... He's just thinking about the job. This is what he's been doing for years. It's what he's good at. And that's mm. kind of where his mind goes, I think. But then we also... We, we finish the film with him walking through uh, these halls on his own, these corridors walking downstairs and he stops and he vomits and then we cut to modern day Auschwitz essentially documentary footage of modern day Auschwitz where we see um, all the all the caretakers and cleaners the people who run Auschwitz the volunteers I think who work there I, I, well I don't know if they're paid or not but you know the people who um, run Auschwitz um, as, a, as a museum cleaning it cleaning the windows the glass that houses you know the the countless shoes and crutches, and I don't think we see the hair, but I remember the hair very vividly from when yes. I visited. 
um, you know, people vacuuming. We see, as you mentioned, that corridor of all the photographs of of so many um, people who emerged there. Um, and it, it it was interesting. It reminded me of what's with Bashir, which was the Israeli. Um, it was an animated film. It was animated in Flash yes. from about two thousand and eight or nine, and and the whole thing is about the memories of what I think it was Shabra and Shatila. If I've got the name right, which was um, uh, um, I think they were camps in the eighties um, that Israel ran, and I think they just murdered an awful lot of Palestinians there. Though I am obviously very half remembering mm. that, but that's what the film's about. And it's about remembering that and remembering what we did there and reckoning with mm. that memory. But it's all done through this um, remove of animation. Mm. And then the film, right at the end, gives you real footage, documentary footage, what happened there, just cement, this was real, this happened. And I remember thinking at the time that I watched it, you know, like, do we really need that? You know, could, like, did you not trust us to buy? But the more, the, the longer I've gone after having watched that, the more I thought, no, you do really need that. Mm. You do really need, I think, at the end of this to show this was real and, and mm. we need to see this. So that's not what this one does. It doesn't show historical footage of um, uh, of concentration camps, not the Holocaust. It shows modern day footage of Auschwitz as it is now. This place is still here. Yeah. It's still being maintained. The memories are being maintained. It's like a grave site, you know. I mean, yes. it is a grave site, and that's kind of how it feels. And 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 Hoss and everything are long gone. The memories are still there, and it's and I mean, I think it's kind of wrapped up in the idea that people still deny the Holocaust. Yes, and you need to see that this place is real and is there. And this isn't just a movie that we've made. Mm. This is real, and of course, to a Holocaust denier, that could still be a set, you know, obviously. But um, to a you know a reasonable person, it will hit them, I think, in the right way. Mm. Um, the reality of it, and what I suppose is is also interesting, and I didn't quite. I'm not sure I totally bought because I think it's as close as the film comes to sentimentalizing uh, its its main characters is we cut back to Hoss for one last shot mm. um, and then he, he, he leaves the frame and the film ends and he has this look on his face of, you know, he's just vomited and then we see this footage and then he... he I'm not this... sure if he vomits, he wretches. Yeah, sorry, yeah, okay, he wretches. You don't see any evidence of... Sure. And then he has this, this, this kind of vacant or like thousand yard expression on his face and then the film ends and it is, I think, suggesting that it's a, a moment of realization of legacy because he's obviously not i mean it's funny it's that thing of um uh you know the 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 um the, the kuleshov effects mm. of you show the guy and then you show the thing and then you show the guy again and it's what he's been looking at and that and so the kind of implication if you take it in very concrete terms is that he's seen the future and of course that's not what it's saying but it's an implication of a realization that there will be a future and people will look back on this and yeah. there's a legacy i i i'm not sure i because it's because it's something that, it's, like I say, comes close to sentimentalizing. The I, I I don't think it's sentimental. I think it's necessary. Mm. Um, you know, and again, I read the images differently because okay. you know uh, you see those images in the museum, and it's almost all women. Yeah, it's like cleaning I think it is all women. I noticed that too. Uh, and so I immediately kind of you know because I thought they were local workers, mm. I immediately thought of the girls working. So in, did I. Yeah. yeah they're going about their business and it's now a museum and it's kind of institutional and actually it also doesn't quite get at the whole, it minimizes or tames or, you know, uh, contains 
the horrors of what took place there. I mean, I remember kind of, you know, going to the museum with you and there were two moments where I kind of lost it. And I thought I was inured to it, right? You know, uh, yeah, kind of mm. you're keeping kind of like a distance from things, really. And then, you know, there was that moment where you saw the shoes. And, uh, and I, again, I, you know, I might be mistaken, but I think we see them in, in, in the We film. see the shoes, definitely. In the yeah. yeah. And there was like this really bright red platform shoes, right? Uh, in the middle of all these gr now gray or brown or yeah, yeah uh, uh, shoes, and like the immediate thought is, you know, who was that lively woman? Yeah, it must mm. have been a really lively woman who wore shoes like that, right? And all of a sudden, like you're not just seeing like this historic horror; you're thinking of a person, and actually thinking of a person is what kind of teared me up. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, so anyway, that's what I was thinking of, you know, because. The film has been careful kind of not to show, to be so indirect whilst actually, yeah, kind of mm. showing because obviously there is that thing about like, um, what do they call it, kind of uh, concentration camp porn or something, right? That like it, it could be um, so many attempts at showing. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. Like yeah. poverty porn, like like yeah. reveling in the imagery. And That's the right. Of, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think the film is very careful to be indirect about it while showing things clearly, right? Mm. Which I think is why it's so important that that we don't visit Auschwitz. Yeah. Basically throughout, yeah, it's not dramatized in that way. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and then when you're brought to it, you're br you're brought to it in the present and then kind of related to kind of something in the past and almost like the worst bit of it. Yeah, that's kind of I mean 700,000 mm. people are now coming. Yeah, so a massive figure and and I thought that kind of worked. So you're you said cooler shop effect what you imagine, of course, you do. Yeah, kind of you project projecting in the space between these two images, but they're also operating in terms of the past, the present, mm. and the future of that past that's just about to take place. Yeah, the future that that Huss is imagining. Yeah, yeah. Well, or what's about, about to come? Yeah, like yeah, how he's. How he's going to efficiently get rid of seven hundred thousand people? I'm sorry, I see what you yeah. mean. Right? Yes. Um, yes. So, so you know, I kind of um, throughout the film, I was wondering how is this going to end? Yeah, sure. You know, uh, I couldn't imagine how it would end, and I thought actually that was that was a brilliant ending. Yes, I mean, you certainly couldn't imagine, you know, them all of a sudden dramatizing the liberation of Auschwitz. It's not that kind of. It's film. not that kind of thing. Yeah. Or uh, you know. Uh, I thought they might move back to Berlin or... Or end with, and, end with like, trial. And ex I don't know how his life ended. I think he may was executed. Well, actually, one of the things that I also liked very much about the film is that they, didn't, they don't tell you. It would have been quite easy mm. to have put a slide at the end of the film saying the family lived on, blah, blah. Yeah. The, the, and 1.1 then it, million Jews died in Auschwitz. And then yeah, it just it becomes a right. yeah. Uh, you know, but if they would have done it about the person, it would have made it about the person. It's not about the person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, so so I kind of, I thought those were all kind of uh, really intelligent choices. And actually that imagery of, of the shoes and of uh, the, the crutches and devices for the disabled and to an extent um, bookend the film with what I was saying about how it starts with picking out what we want mm -hmm. from the people who come there, or the clothes that we want. Mm -hmm. You know, it's obviously not quite the same. People aren't picking out crutches. And people aren't picking out the photos on the wall. So, you know, what we see of Auschwitz at the end is not directly um, reflecting what we've seen at the start. But there's a feeling of it. Mm. Like, that's what's left of these people. And that's mm. what you see in Auschwitz these days. Mm. Um, and that's, and as you say, it's those 
it's the, the all these shoes and all the all the spectacles that you see are real and they were worn by real people and there are so many of them that you know it kind of yeah like it could overwhelm you mm. um i mean i also remember the first time i went to auschwitz i overheard some people who are around my age i was like 18 at the time um saying you know like there were just too many of them they, they just kind of weren't feeling i mean I, and to an extent i suppose i was the same way like i say i wasn't affected by auschwitz the first time i went the way i was the second time i didn't understand it to the same degree and i i kind of i wasn't kind of like emotionally or intellectually ready for it i guess mm. um so I kind of, I understood what these guys were saying when they were saying, like, it was just loads of glasses. Like, I didn't get, not I didn't get it, but, you know, it just, it, it's like it's, a, it's like it overmade its point or something. Mm. But the second time I went, that was the point, mm. you know, the, the, the amount, um, the overwhelming amount was the point. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, um, it's, I think it's a really, really great film and it's one, you know, that I have to think about kind of a lot more and that I'm sure will lead to, you know, tons of conversations really, uh, because, you know, it very much uh, judges, right, and asks for responsibility to be taken. It has kind of a very, uh, I think, ethical and moral uh, stance, whilst, you know, respecting the difficulties of showing, right? Uh, so I would highly recommend that everyone see it. Yeah, respect is such a key word. It's absolutely respectful of what it's showing and what it's dramatising and what it's not showing. Mm. The fact that it doesn't show various things, you know, because as you say, we've seen we've seen so many Holocaust movies, we've seen so many uh, movies set in and around concentration camps, especially Auschwitz, and that's something that needs to, stories that need to be told and things that need to be seen. But there is also a way in which that becomes cliche. It's the thing you do. Mm. It's the things that you see. As you were saying, um, there's no... Um, striped, striped pajamas. Mm. <laughs> you know, there's none of that here. And you know, I, the um, the film did have obviously, um, as I was seeing in the credits, you know, historical advisors as to the mm. realism of the of the clothing and so on. So, yeah, I'm sure it's also accurate in what mm. it's showing. The cliche is not there. It's mm. not about that. And I think, like going back to what I was saying at the start, it's something that I just so associate with Jonathan Glazer. You think about a sci-fi film. And, and the cliches involved in any kind of sci-fi, and just none of that is there mm. in Under the Skin. Mm. You think about, the, you know, I can't even think what Birth is about. I mean, what kind of movie it is. I've never seen it. So. <laughs> um, and, like, and, and these are films that, you know, I, I as I say, I haven't got on with all that well. Um, probably Sexy Beast, as I recall it, is his most accessible. It's his mm. most conventional. Um, this, I think, for me, is his best. Yeah, I, I think mean, so easily. Too. It's wonderful. Uh, so we highly recommend that, uh, that people see it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we are eavesdropping at the movies and we are wrong. Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies uh, and Blue Sky, eavesdropping.bsky.social. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>